listening to you're listening to you're listening you're listening to you're listening you're listening to active fm to active fm to active fm fm to active fm good evening everyone and uh, my name is gavin instant uh welcome to everyone in the active fm board i'm i'm one of the presenters on a show called the political show which is broadcast every Wednesday at 1300 GMT plus two. That's one o'clock in the afternoon, South African time. And then it also gets distributed every Friday morning at uh, 0600 GMT plus two. So for more information on the show, please check us out at www.activefm.co.za. But anyway, tonight I have the, the huge privilege to, to be interviewing uh, Jason M. Leonard. And um, he's written an exciting new book called Terror Strikes. And this book, as I understand it, um, uh, Joseph, is available at Amazon.com. Is that correct? Yeah, it's available at most online stores, but most people use Amazon. They sell like 80% of all books sold go through Amazon. So, yeah, that's the easiest place to find it. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you put my middle initial in there, Joseph M. Leonard. I'm in Michigan in the United States. There is another Joseph Leonard out of North Carolina that writes books too. So okay. I got to be careful. People don't get us confused. <laughs> yes, no, I understand. So, um, so Joseph, um, I was going to say, how are you doing this evening? But obviously for you, it's afternoon. Yeah, so exactly. how are you doing this afternoon? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But like I say in the book, Remember, it could always be better, but it could often be worse, right? Uh, that, that's true. That's very, very true. Um, Joseph, I wanted to ask if you could maybe just uh, spend a minute or two just telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, you know, just give us a brief introduction to yourself. Yep. I, I'm born and raised in Southeast Michigan, and despite not being very fond of the winter months here. I do like the area, so I stay. Although I'm very tempted to move to Las Vegas in winters where it'd be much warmer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so lifelong Michigan resident, which is why my book mainly takes part in Southeast Michigan, but it is an international flavored book. It has a chapter on Toronto, Ontario, Canada, London, England, Madrid, Spain, and Tokyo, Japan. So uh, it's not meant to be just a U.S. book. It's indeed meant to be an international uh, flavored book because, of course, terrorism doesn't just exist here. <laughs> it exists everywhere. In fact, I was just reading a news blurb a couple hours ago about 28-year-old twins that were sentenced to eight in 11 years respectively in your country for a plot against the U.S. Embassy in South Africa in 2016. Okay. Yes. No, it, it, yeah, it, it is quite a, uh, for probably, well, I suppose it started in the middle of the last century, but it really has become a big thing. Um, could you just tell us, you know, um, in, in terms of yourself, uh, Obviously, you know, there, there, there is a political sort of undertone, you know, to the book. So if you could just tell us a little bit about what informs your political views and what your greatest influences are before we talk about the book itself. 
Okay. Just so that we can get a bit of a background. Yep. Uh, while I lean conservative, I am a constitutional Republican here in the United okay. States. Uh, we are not a democracy, despite everybody constantly saying we are a democracy. We are not. We are a constitutional republic. And that's the camp by which I sit. And that's kind of uh, part of the leaning of the book also, because, again, terror strikes coming soon to a city near you. Terrorism is, of course, the main theme, but it's not the only theme. And you can't have an honest discussion about terrorism without discussing both politics and religion because it's part of their stated reasoning to want to kill us all. Okay. All right. Um, and then just just in terms of, of, of that, um, uh, what sort of gave you the motivation to write a book specifically, you know, dealing with this subject? Well, I've been writing my whole life and most of what I've written has come to me in a dream, as did this book. I had a dream in 2006, so I started writing this book, but they just didn't all come together right in 2006, so I kind of put it on the back burner, and then all of a sudden last year, the dreams recurred. So I felt, okay, I'm being nudged, I get the message. <laughs> I need to finish this book and get it out. Uh, you know, because again, there's not just about terrorism. There's a bunch of sub themes in the book uh, that really relate to today's age and this time frame. Because sadly, there's a lot of people who bought into the myth that terrorism somehow went away during the Wuhan virus hysteria. That's not the case. It's just that most of the news outlets focused on the Wuhan virus hysteria for ratings and didn't deliver all the news. Like uh, I mentioned the, the two twins that were just sentenced in South Africa to eight and 11 years. There were church attacks in Nigeria recently, yes. Ethiopia, Al-Shabaab attack, uh, Biden, even after bungling our withdrawal in Afghanistan, has sent special forces back into Somalia. Uh, I was just reading a blurb on that the other day uh, of some attacks that were supposedly thwarted in Somalia. So, you know, there's a lot going on. It's just people aren't hearing it. And one of the themes in the book is, Live your life. It's a, it's a book about terrorism as the main theme, but I like to say it's not a book about death, but of life and living and those both foreign and domestic that want to deprive you of life, liberty, and your pursuit of happiness. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, Teresa in my Naperville chapter discover she's been more of an ostrich on the subject rather than the mama bear she needed to be to protect her child. Okay, so live so, your life, but you've got to be aware and alert to what's going on around you. Okay, so in other words, what you're saying is um, you're feeling an unction maybe from the Lord to, to warn people. 
yeah. to be aware of what's going on. Now, yes. in terms of all of this stuff, um, do you believe there's a bigger plot behind it or is it just a sort of a random set of events, you know, with these attacks and things that are going on? Uh, no, uh, I don't think they're random. I, they're definitely, you know, plans behind them, past, present, and future all converging. Uh, no one is safe anywhere on the planet. Uh, you know, again, the, the issue with what you don't know can still hurt you. To go back to the Teresa quote, you can't be an ostrich. Just because an ostrich wanders onto railroad tracks, hears a noise and decides to bury its head between the tracks, that isn't going to stop it from being run over by the train that's coming just because yeah. its head is buried in the sand. So again, live life, but engage in situational awareness. Know yeah. what's going on around you. So, so, so that's um, bringing about that situational awareness in people is is a big motivator for you. Is that correct? In terms yeah. of the, the writing of this book? Yes. Yes, and again, the terrorism being the main theme, there are sub-themes in there, including suicide prevention, because with the lockdowns, suicide spiked, and uh, of course we have issues of those in and around terrorist attacks having survivors built in their own form of PTSD and the issue of suicide amongst those groups. So that's, again one of many sub-themes in the book. Okay. Um, and then um, just before I ask specifically some more questions about this book, I just wanted to ask, um, you know, you've obviously written other books on that as well. <clears throat> Would terrorism generally be a theme that you'd write about or are there, are there other themes that you'd write about as well? No, I've written about all kinds of things. This is the first actually internationally published book that I've put out. But yeah, I've been writing my whole life. I I wrote, wrote music and recorded music back in the 80s, but you know, I wasn't good enough to get a record deal or anything like that. It's not like today where anybody can record music and sell it online. Yeah. <laughs> so then I shifted kind of to short stories and novels. But this one was the one that really was put upon my heart that it had to get out into the world as not just history lesson, but warning uh, and all the sub themes. Uh, because this is, while it's labeled on Amazon as a political thriller, it's historical fiction, or as I call it, faction. Uh, there are chapters yes. that deal with reality, actual events yes. like. Toronto, Ontario, London, England, Madrid, Spain, Tokyo, Japan. Uh, so as to show, you know, and the fictional story ties it all together with Martin, who's a Detroit newspaper person who sits down to write his own book on terrorism. So we follow Martin's research and emphasis to write his book on terrorism in my book and i also have a very unique and innovative approach uh towards writing uh i like to say that 
the formulaic creative writing guidelines, I took those and put them through the shredder to create a book okay. like no other. I didn't, you know, I don't yes. follow the usual formulas. So, so would I be correct in saying the, the, the failure you'll get when you read the book is sort of um, you, you're reading Martin's story as he's writing a book. Right, so you're right. sort of seeing the book coming together. Right, exactly. And I kind of forgot, I didn't finish my train of thought there about yeah. the innovative thing is a blog within a book because everybody okay. is ingrained in the internet nowadays. It's become an everyday part of our lives. So everyone knows what a blog is. So I put a couple of Martin's blogs, which are actually my blogs, repurposed for my character in the book as part of the storyline. All right, so, so the so writings that you've made on real-life situations, um, uh, you know, have, have been a big influence in terms of the book. Uh, I, to be honest, I'm not much of an avid reader. Okay. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm more of a week-to-the-movie kind of guy, actually. Okay. So it's kind of a bit ironic that I have a public <laughs> book out now rather than a movie to try to sell you. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, I've been writing my whole life. I've written science fiction. I've written uh, uh, other political thrillers. I wrote a crime drama. Uh, I've written a radio play. So I, I've dabbled in a lot of different things. But again, this just seemed like the right book for the right time with the right message. Okay. Um, and then obviously you've mentioned all of those places, London, Ontario, Spain. Um, uh, just uh, for, for the sake of, of those who are listening, um, am I correct in saying that those are all related to, to Terry events that have taken place right. you know, over the last 20 years or so? Yes, exactly. And of yeah. course, 9-11 is, a, is the yes. biggest chapter in the book, as one would expect. Yeah. <laughs> With it yes. being the uh, largest scale terror attack that we've ever known. Yes. Okay, so um, just a question on the 9-11. Um, would you like to just tell us what your take is on that? Obviously, some people say it was faked. Others say, no, it was a few guys from the Middle East. Yeah. You know, what is your take on 9-11? Well, I mentioned 9-11 truthers in the book because, again, mm. I wanted to write an honest book on the subject, so I acknowledge 9-11 yes. truthers. But I was home that day watching TV when the news broke in, and I literally saw, as millions if not billions around the world saw that second plane hit that building. Mm -hmm. These buildings weren't attacked by cruise missiles. No. <laughs> yes. we, we rounded up the 19 hijackers. Uh, so we, we know who did it. We know what happened. But, you know, there's always going to be a certain degree of people who think who have to overcomplicate things. Yeah. You know, things can't be as simple as they seem. They have to delve into uh, conspiracies, which is not to say some conspiracies aren't real. They are. Obviously, 9-11 yes. was a conspiracy. They conspired yeah. to do what they did. Uh, but as to, like, the whether the U.S. government was actually behind it, no, I don't buy into that. And 
So you don't buy into the you don't buy into the theory that um, that there were uh, that the, the building was imploded that they put uh, explosives inside the building and all of that. No, no. And uh, uh, what is it uh, now? Uh, the science. Well, I forget the scientific magazine that went in and examined and debunked all that stuff. I mean, other buildings have pancaked also. Yes. Conspiracy theorists like to say mm -hmm. it's the first time in history a building like that ever pancaked. Well, it was the unique way it was built that allowed it to happen that way. It's like a tree. You know, you take an axe yes. into a tree and at some point then it falls over. But you fly a plane into the building the way it was designed with the ectoskeleton structure. Uh, yes. It took out a corner and a lot of the internal supports. And once it became pancake and gravity took over. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, I must admit, also at the time, I mean, we were watching it. Um, we, it was in the middle of the workday here in South Africa. And, um, I mean, we watched this. I, I, I was watching when the, the second building collapsed. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. And, and also the way that the dust, because, I mean, the dust went over quite a, a large area of Manhattan. So, normally, if there's an implosion, you know, it's pretty controlled. And that didn't look controlled to me. Yeah. So, no, right. I tend to agree with you. Now, um, you know, uh, obviously, yourself being a Christian, um, a lot of Christians could come and level an accusation against you saying, you know, why are you writing a book about death when our faith is all about life? Yeah. Um, so um, how would you respond to that? I'm glad you asked that because I always say that despite the title and main theme, this is not a book about death. It's actually a book about life and living and those both foreign and domestic, they want to deprive you of your life, your liberty, and your ability to pursue your own happiness. So that's a great question. I definitely had that answer ready. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so, um, so obviously, from from your perspective, then if you've got your head in the sand, um, you you know you're probably going to be hit by that proverbial train, and then you won't be able to to experience life. Exactly. And there is even a chapter on love versus hate in the book. Uh, again, there, you know, terrorism being the main theme, the driver of the book. But there are a lot of sub themes. And again, it's it's about living and living life to its fullest. But if you don't pay attention to what goes on around you, even not just terrorism, crime in general is also a theme in the book. Uh, I'm from the Detroit area. We used to be known mm. as the murder capital of the world. Well, it's better than it used to be, but still, there's a lot of crime around here. <laughs> so you've okay. got to be awake and alert. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. there are people with nefarious aims uh, and evil in their heart looking to harm others or gain from the benefit of stealing from others. Okay, so then just in terms of, um, you know, those who'd be interested in reading this book, um, would that tend to be Christians? Or who would you say would be interested in reading this book? It's a book for all audiences, uh, young, 
high school age on up, young and old, male and female. It's not a Rambo like shoot 'em up, blood and guts spilled all over the pages kind of thing. So male and female both can enjoy it. Uh, political and non-political and religious and not religious. Because again, you can't have a book on terrorism and discuss Islamic fundamentalism without delving into both politics and religion. But I try not to make that an overbearing sub-theme in the book. So yeah, no, this is not a Christian book for Christian people, even though, yes, I am a Christian and my character, Martin, is a Christian. But it, it's a book for everybody. Okay. And then, um, you know, just in terms of your, your take with regards 9-11, so obviously, um, you know, we, we agree on the fact that there were actual planes. And, I mean, I, I remember there, there was enough time to fake all of it, especially on live TV, <laughs> you know, as some people have claimed since. All kinds but of I, channels I wanted... were carrying it, yeah. I, yes. mean, no, you know, I mean, I was... <laughs> Yeah, we were watching it live in South Africa. I mean, yeah, everyone I stopped. Too. They actually put they put CNN on in our in an auditorium in the company that I was working at at the time, and even the the head of you know group IT and all sorts of people were sitting there watching this. And I mean, everyone was shocked. Now, what I wanted to ask specifically in terms of in terms of that, um, obviously, you said with 9/11 there was some conspiracy. Now, there was also talk at the time that um, many of the U.S. Air Force planes you know, were, were on the ground and there weren't many of them in the air in order to be able to maybe stop the planes before they got near the city and that. Um, was there some sort of conspiracy, you know, with regard to that in your opinion or was it just a case of that they were that maybe the government was caught napping? Yeah, they were caught napping. Uh, I mean, uh, we're talking, when we're talking about 2001, you have to understand American politics. We had just yeah. come out of the Bill Clinton as president years, and we were cutting military budgets, thinking we were now finally going to live in peace. <laughs> and that, you know, we so, yeah, we, we went back to sleep. The United States government literally was that ostrich that I was talking about. So they did okay. scramble jets, but the it's, you got to remember that the American homeland had only really been assaulted uh, in uh, during Pearl Harbor. Other than that, yeah. the North American continent has been a pretty safe and secure place. So we don't patrol our skies regularly unless if some early warning system detects something to launch craft. You know, we don't keep planes in the air all the time. It's just too expensive of an ocean. And yeah, it was a massive failing on our government intelligence services to have yeah. so many bits and pieces of information and not be able to connect the dots beforehand. Okay. okay. Now, um, you know, I've seen that you're talking about um, broken windows policing policy, um, yeah. you know, that could have prevented 9-11. Um, could you tell us, you know, um, what you mean by national, federal, broken windows policing policy and how, how you believe it could have prevented 9-11? Yeah, I don't know if it would have completely, compl uh, yeah, get my mouth to work here. I, if it would have completely 
uh, stopped or prevented is the word, uh, having a brain fart here now. Yeah, if it could have completed or not, but broken windows policing is a term coined after Rudy Giuliani became governor of New York State, or gov- mayor of New York City, I mean to yes. say. I'm getting, uh, I don't want to confuse the facts. <laughs> Here. Yes. Rudy Giuliani instituted what became known as the broken windows policing policy, policy, which means you sweat the small stuff. If you break, if you're arresting people for hopping the turnstiles in the subways, they're not out to commit other greater crimes. And it reduced crime drastically in New York City during his reign as governor. Had we had a national broken windows policy, they overstayed their visa. Had we arrested and deported them for that, 9-11 wouldn't have occurred. Now, I doubt we probably would have been able to round them all up. But what if we'd have gotten three of the four pilots? They would have only been able to use one plane as a weapon rather than four with the fourth plane being taken down by passengers in Pennsylvania. And we did have military jets scrambled at that time, ready to take the plane down. Now, there's a conspiracy theory I'm willing to get into. Did the fourth plane actually get taken down by passengers or was it shot down by the U.S. military? And they really would rather not have to admit to that. You know, like shooting down civilian airlines is a very, very touchy subject. Yeah, <laughs> I can just imagine uh, what they would have said about George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. Okay. Um, now, in in the book, you talk about um, GIJIA. Um, what, what is a GIA? I uh, G I J I A S. What is it? Yeah, it's pronounced Giza. Like during World War II, Joseph Goebbels uh, coined mm-hmm. the term Nazi Soshi for the National okay. Socialist Deutschland Arbiter Party, and we've all come to call them just Nazis for short. But that was actually a term coined by Joseph Goebbels at the time of the party foundations. And I came up with the new acronym, GIZA, for Global Islamic Jihadist Interim Army, because it's a lot easier to say GIZA or GIZAs than it is to repeat Islamic Fundamentalist Radical Terrorist. It doesn't roll off the tongue very well, but the term GIZA, like the term Nazi, is is real easy to grasp and understand and use in conversation. Now, just just a a, um, a, a, a question from from there. Um, in terms of these geishas and things, um, um, how, how much of a threat do you think they are? You know, with what's going on on the border um, with Mexico. You know, in terms of the the floods of, of people coming across the border there. You know, illegally. Yeah, well, we have rounded up terrorists who are on our terrorist watch list coming across our southern border from Mexico. So, yeah, the millions of people the current administration has just let wander in 
to the United States, as well as Chinese fentanyl and other drugs being flown into Mexico and then just galloped across our border while our border agents are busy writing paperwork for uh, with regarding all these people that are coming over and can't really do their job of defending the border and deterring the illegals from coming in. Uh, at some point, I do fully suspect there will be a terror assault in the United States, and it will be from people who have snuck into our country from our southern border. So our southern border is not just an immigration issue. It's a national security issue. And I do touch on that briefly in the book as one of the sub-themes. It's a law and order. It's a crime-related thing. Uh, you can't just have an open border and be a safe and secure nation. And I am all for legal immigration. I know many legal immigrants. They are some of the best Americans we got. Because this book also deals in not just foreign people who hate America, but idiots in our own nation that <laughs> hate our own nation that afforded them everything they have. So <laughs> Yeah, the, I mean, obviously, look, looking at it from South Africa, America is a place that most people in the world want to get to, and yet there's so many Americans that hate <laughs> that hate America. But anyway, yeah. they should they should come and spend some time here. You know, yeah, I know um, one person I know. I'll mention Helen Zabo. Yeah, she escaped. Uh, uh, she escaped from Hungary before the Iron Curtain fell. So immigrants, like I said, are some of our best citizens because yeah. they fled places to come here for a reason. Mm. Like those who escaped behind the Soviet Iron Curtain, they escaped for freedom. And yet we have idiots in our own nation trying to turn us into a socialist, communist, or fascist nation itself. While, like you said, people are fleeing and beating down the door to become free here in America. Yes, yes. Look, I think um, Americans need to realize that uh, uh, America's actually loved in many places around the world, um, yeah. a lot more than what I think many Americans realize. Yeah, um, we, then I just, sorry, Karen. Yeah, like Reagan used to say, we are the shining city on the hill and we have to yes. be a beacon and a force for freedom all around the world. That's always a heated discussion about, uh, you know, some people want to say America is imperialistic. Name a country that we've gone into and fought for that country's freedom that we enslaved thereafter. We didn't steal hmm. Iraq's oil after the Iraq war. We didn't, you know, we could have and should have stayed in Afghanistan to mine the rare earth minerals that are abundant there, but we didn't do that. We don't do that. It's the Islamics, the Giza, that want to create a global fascist caliphate and rule everyone with an iron thumb, and we must be a counter to that to try to keep people free or allow people to try to make their own countries free countries. No, thanks. Um, one last question, just, um, you know, something just for sort of a background to the question. 
Um, obviously, here in South Africa, just next to us is Mozambique. Um, and to the north of Mozambique, there's a, a massive Islamic insurgency going on, um, you know, and it's caused a tremendous amount of suffering. Obviously, you mentioned Nigeria, and Nigeria is not in the news enough because there's tremendous suffering going on there, you know, with um, basically persecution of Christians, you know, and things like that. So, um, I have you know, an I had an interview about a month ago with someone in Nigeria. And yeah, yeah I'm not intimate into the details of the, the terror groups there on your continent. Uh, I do yeah. pay attention, but because, uh, again, to know what's going on and sound the warning. But I also recently wrote a blog at terrorstrikes.info slash blogs about freedom fighter versus terrorism that dichotomy like yes some people would call these terrorists freedom fighters others call them terrorists it's a matter of perspective like look at afghanistan from the u.s perspective we actually helped fund osama bin laden to fight yes. as a freedom fighter organization in afghanistan when the soviets completely unprovoked invaded Afghanistan way back when. And then, of course, Usama and his Al-Qaeda buddies got a feel for all that uh, power and control and then turned on us after we drew, drove the Soviets out. So you've mm -hmm. got a, the monster you create, what you create today, today may be your monster trying to eat you tomorrow. <laughs> Yes, and wouldn't you say it's the same as Saddam Hussein? <laughs> yeah. Weren't they fighting him against Iran, and then the same thing happened there as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, and I discuss this in the book too. People don't understand, uh, especially younger people, that Iran used to actually be a very strong U.S. ally. And then yes. they had the Islamic Revolution and the Ayatollahs. So we then kind of propped up Saddam Hussein in the Iran-Iraq war to have them fight each other so that we hopefully wouldn't one day, which I'm sure we will have to, have boots on the ground in Iran. Because uh, hmm. uh, they are the biggest state sponsors of terrorism around the world as it stands right now. There cannot hmm. be a peace on this planet until we overthrow the Ayatollahs in Iran.